Hello and welcome to the Hustle and Bustle podcast. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Yugambeh people, and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. My name is Nicole Bennett and I'm an urban and regional planner and I'm the host of this podcast. Each episode, I bring you conversations with city shapers and urban thinkers, leaders in the field of urban planning and city building. I'm located here on the beautiful Gold Coast in Australia. We're one of the host cities for the Brisbane 2032 Olympics and Paralympics. The next 10 years is being described as the golden decade for our city and our region. The conversations on this podcast help us understand the opportunities and challenges ahead. So let's take a minute from our busy hustle and bustle days and let's have a great conversation. And welcome to the first episode of season two of the Hustle and Bustle podcast. It's been a little while since our final episode of season one went live at the end of November last year. I was so pleased to record and, and publish 18 episodes for season one of the podcast. And your feedback on the first season has really encouraged me to launch season two this year. I have some really exciting guests lined up and I'm looking forward to releasing weekly episodes on a variety of topics. But my guest today for season one is, uh, sorry, season two, episode one, is an exciting up and coming planner who is really pushing the boundaries of traditional urban thinking. He is innovative, passionate, motivated, and is really redefining what it means to be part of our profession. In his short time within the town planning profession, he's gained experience across local government, private sector, and social enterprise. He's also bridging the gap between academia and planning practice through his Masters of Philosophy and his PhD, where he's looking to solve systemic workplace issues such as how institutional cultures affect participatory planning and institutional decision-making processes. And he's using his unique perspective to devise creative solutions to systemic planning problems. In addition to this work, he founded a social enterprise called Powerwells, the social enterprise where he and his team are repurposing used lithium-ion batteries paired with solar panels to give renewable energy to off-grid communities in Indonesia. The team have already given up to 200 homes renewable energy and saved around 7,000 battery cells from landfill, simultaneously inspiring many other young planners to pursue entrepreneurial ventures. And as if that wasn't already enough, he's also contributed to the profession as the convener of the Queensland Young Planners Committee. I'm referring to the amazing Nicholas Camels. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. How are you today? Yeah, doing well, thank you. Uh, it's such an amazing intro, and I've kind of taken to using a version of that, and you know, wherever it's appropriate, somewhat appropriate. But yeah, absolutely. thank you. Um, absolutely, I I have borrowed that, and I wanted to begin by congratulating you for being named the 2021 Planning Institute Queensland Young Planner of the Year for being an inspiration to all planners, young and old. I think um, that intro was was from that award recognition, and and Specifically, that award recognised your achievements over the last five years, forging new paths, defying archetypes, pushing boundaries, innovating, inspiring all of those around you. Huge congratulations. Thank you. Peer recognition is always so nice. Uh, it's been even nicer than I kind of predicted. And yeah, when I write it all down, I kind of, you know, that you often don't stop to think about all the things I'm up to or have done. You write it down, you see it all compiled together and can't help but, um, feel quite happy with myself. 
<laughs> That's good. You should be so proud. And, you know, I really wanted to have you on the podcast as the first guest for this season um, to give you a platform and to really celebrate this awesome acknowledgement of all your work and commitment and, and to understand more about how you're redefining what it means to be a planner. Um, because, you know, just chatting with you, um, you know, setting up this podcast, it, you've blown me away. You know, you're really not a traditional planner. And I think, you know, the things you're focusing on and caring about are quite different to what we have historically really cared about. Um, but before we get into that, I'd really like to understand what led you to becoming a planner. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I t definitely agree. It's um, quickly. You know, recognition is nice, but it's really like, what do you do with it? I've got this amplified platform for a small amount of time. I think it's really just valuable of what you do with that in that sort of space with that added voice. So yeah, thank you for having me on this podcast. Um, getting to share my thoughts. On to the how did I get into planning? I wanted to be an architect from as young as I can remember. One of my parents is an architect. One of their parents was an architect. Actually, the Queensland State Government architect in the eighties. I just always loved the built form. Some of my earliest memories are playing with my Matchbox cars on models that are around the house, drawing floor plans of houses and public buildings, which were actually quite modest, really, like for a kid with a full sandbox. I was yeah, quite practical. <laughs> uh, then, yeah, uh, then as a grade eight geography assignment, we were tasked with turning the school sports fields into a residential subdivision. And I just loved it. I went absolutely above and beyond. All my other subjects suffered a bit. Then the parent who was an architect said, I think you might be more of a town planner, which I was really lucky they actually knew what planning was. And that's come across a lot in my discussions with people. It's, they didn't know what it was, which they had known earlier. So I definitely think I'm very fortunate in that regard. Then yeah, by grade 10, I was set on being a planner, which knowing that from such an early stage was good and bad, because at times I kind of dragged my feet a bit, to be honest. Then I think what's really interesting in that space is why am I still a planner? And it's something I revisit periodically. Yeah. And it's really the potential for planning to shape the future. I see it as increasing the odds that the future is something that we consider to be good or better than it otherwise would be. And I really think it's you be involved with the future shaping mechanisms and steer them from within. I really like the analogy of don't just like throw rocks from the outside be involved and steer it. Yeah, no, me too. Yeah, okay. Well, that that's a fascinating story. And I think that's cool that you've had a, you've got a sort of um, a state government architect in the family and amazing that your dad sort of steered you in the direction of planning. Cause yeah, my my parents certainly had no idea what planning is and, and you know, um, it was something that I stumbled upon, like you mentioned. So uh, very cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, okay. I do revisit it periodically, though. I think I should say, particularly, um, you know, if people potentially listening, it may be beneficial to think through, like, you've got such a career ahead, revisit what you're really passionate about. Um, so I do that on a periodic basis, and it always comes back to, yeah, I love those environment. I love, well, essentially, you know, planning, it's seen as a spatial thing, but it's really a social endeavor. Yeah. I really come back to, amongst all the things that I do, all these seemingly unrelated things, I'm very much a planner. Being a planner shapes all that. When I'm in all the tech space or whatever, startup space, it's like, oh, a town planner. And then I'm kind of that role amongst all that and really like, you know, advocate for public interest in everything. But yeah, I, I planner, I mean, what we're generalists, 
often, you know, it's great to specialise, but we really do bring it all together. And I learned that from early on, like student planner at a council and stuff. Day two, challenging the ideas of one of the senior engineers. Um, and, you know, I got supported by my manager. So, yeah, really bring it all together. It, we've got so much to offer, I suppose. Yeah, totally. That, that's really interesting. So it's it's like the skills of planning are quite transferable across a number of different avenues from what you're saying. Definitely agree. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Um, so tell me some uh, something about your PhD or a little about your PhD. I'm, I'm really keen to understand. It's quite a specific, you know, um, topic and, and question that you've posed. It's a master of philosophy and I'm really keen to understand it more and, and how it relates to planning. Yeah, so Master of Philosophy I based around institutional constraints to well, doing city making better. It came out of people in my research group doing a lot of design interventions and your design thinking workshops with government and other sort of things. And it really came down to all those processes are treated as separate generally. And so they'll kind of come in, do a cool half day, longer workshop or whatever, people get kind of excited and there's this like palatable edge to it that those ideas are kind of sectioned off then you go back to your work you have your institutional decision making processes that are separate so it's really about kind of like what's that impermeable barrier how can we get, get through that and it was a shift towards or yeah, really looking at community engagement and from that i tied in my experience in the innovation space saw lots of parallels there and what it really came down to was the disconnect between what organizations sort of project outwardly and then what they actually can do internally. And even from a personal perspective of, look, you're saying you're doing all this amazing, innovative things, thinking about the future and sustainability, people internally come against up all these roadblocks and stuff. So I was really looking at that. I, I created a term, actually, theatrical disparity. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, so there's that, really that disconnect. Um, yeah. So and so from that, you know, when you finish a research sort of thing, you go and go, where could, where, what would be the next steps with this research? Like you kind of park it at the end. If I was to have more time, I would do this. So I did them and you kind of think what I would do, what I would recommend someone else do. I did a critical reflection at the end, which was probably my favorite part, that and the acknowledgements at the beginning. There's this favorite part where one of my reviewers kind of loved it, as you said, best MPhil I've ever read, but how about you tell us about your finding on X? And I didn't actually agree with what they wanted me to say. Mm. So after a little bit of back and forth internally, you know, um, in my own head, I went, I can add a critical reflection where I can just put my own thoughts down. And that was this page and a half where I was a bit critical, really talked about the limitations of things. And it came down to the outputs of all these activities, right? It's really what comes What's the utility of the outcome of these activities that you're doing? And you can kind of reverse engineer that. Yeah. What are the existing decision-making processes? What information feeds into them? And work out how to use your own community engagement to come up with the right outputs to feed into it. And it sounds straightforward, right? Um, but it kind of needs a, it, it could deal with like quite a rethink of about how we go about things really like the utility of what comes out of things rather than, you know, people feeling good internally about contributing. Yeah. And so did you start to look at solutions to that that issue? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, 
Yeah. It really came down to like I kind of developed these personas of people internally. How are you to actually like navigate institutional constraints? And what I've really come to over doing this research, uh, my fair few years in the innovation space, quite a few internal things in previous jobs as a planner, um, where you're trying to do things um, that are a bit different and you just get this pushback, right? Um, so it's really about how do you navigate things? And so it kind of came to like be a tactician, really understand it all. You might not agree, you might not like how the system works, but being cognizant of how the system works, you can then be quite strategic the way you navigate it all. And a lot of it comes down to economic arguments, make the world go round, um, particularly in the short term, election cycles, all that sort of stuff that we deal with. Work out what people's deliverables are, and then try and use your environmental and social impact that you want to have, your project, that sort of outcomes. Make a strong economic argument for them, convince people that doing this is good for them as well as good for you. Yeah, the what's in it for me. I think that's a, a pretty uh, well-known sort of term in, in order to sort of ask yourself when you're trying to to get, get you know, engagement of people. It's like understanding what, what are they going to get out of it? How do we sort of frame this, this problem or this solution in a sense that they can understand what's in it for them, you know? Yep, it could be timing, just like, look, it's not priority right now. Those sort of things. It's it's not even that solid, right? And their KPIs and those sort of deliverables. Yeah. What are yeah. they measured against? And then I know that um, it, you looked at some of the barriers of actually incorporating sustainability into the built environment. Did you want to sort of speak to some of that? Yeah. Thank you. So that's onto the PhD that I'm now six months into. Yeah. That is really looking at yeah. It's really looking at sustainability from from the lens of okay, don't just shoot for neutral. We're already at a deficit. It's kind of like we're at quite a deficit right now. So shooting for neutral is just kind of mitigating loss. Yeah. Really think about what can you contribute in a positive way. Uh, I really like the precinct level, that kind of thing. Um, I'm bringing together a few things that kind of comically come to the missing middle, like missing middle in um, like spatially, so small up to the micro up to macro, got meso in between. Um, time scales like short term to long term to like where do they meet and that kind of comes to I think planning is a lot of well my experience we, we may want to think about the future that we want but the processes are really like what are the trends in population growth and where we're going to put them those sort of things and you're not often afforded the opportunity to really think about what do we want it to be in 30 years and then you've got the backcasting sort of processes and what I'm hypothesizing, and it seems to be kind of, you know, I think I'm onto something. The backcasting kind of stops practically a bit before where the forecasting ends. Well, yes. you know, so there's yeah, this kind yeah. of gap between, and how do you transition from the forecast to the backcast? And yeah. if you just focus on one, you're kind of doing it with one hand tied behind your back, sort of. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes they won't meet, you know, it's how do you get yeah. them to meet? Yeah, it's often different people doing them. They're not talking to each other. Yeah, I, around that sort of stuff. It again, kind of comically, if I really drill it down, it comes to temporal and spatial scale. So literally, I'm looking at time and space, which kind of puts a smile on my face when I feel like that. Yeah, cool. And so I know that some of that work is around that that 
um, the preferred futures and sort of, um, you know, the, the Arab foresight have the futures cone, um, which, you know, I think is a, such a great way of, of looking at how we can consider what the future might be in the long term and kind of how we plan to get there. Yeah, that's exactly it. What's your preferable future? And that kind of straddles the edge of possible, plausible, and it goes outside of that, right? So where do we actually go preferred future that's possible, hopefully plausible, yeah. yeah. I, um, I do have quite a few thoughts about thinking in the future, like long-termism, how to kind of make a choice of how to use your resources, which is, you know, your skills, time, effort, those sort of things. I'd love to go into them if we'd be up for it. Yeah, yeah. And I just recall from your, your speech when you won the, the Young Planner of the Year, you mentioned, you know, planning for the long term and you sort of said 100, 200 years. Yeah, if you go two, 300 years, everything becomes possible, right? Yeah. You go, okay, what's it like there? Okay, we've shifted to this balance, somewhat of a harmony with resources, nature. We've kind of come beyond identity politics, maybe. Maybe it is like a real somewhat between a direct democracy and representative with proxies or whatever, but that's, you know, yeah. I do quite like thinking someone living around then thinking back. Yeah. Kind of, okay, everything becomes plausible on a long enough timeline. And, you know, a long enough timeline is, 500 years is nothing in even human development. Will we still be here? With climate change and the way that the, you know, the world is sort of responding so slowly, you know, sort of, you know, is there a scenario where in two, 500 years, you know, there's some catastrophic events? Yeah, so there's a probability, right? Uh, I'm very interested in existential risk sort of planning, well, yeah. conceptualising and planning. And, you know, you've got these low probability, high impact events, uh, say Stephen Hawking goes like a 1% chance in your lifetime of this existential threat. That's yeah. not zero. It's a non-zero probability. And it really yeah. goes, probability of an extinction is very small in any year, but put a few years together and it starts becoming like a actual possibility to at least, I think you're a bit silly if you're not considering it. Um, totally. And if you like humanity, if you like biological life <laughs> on the earth, um, I think, yeah, you'd It'd be irresponsible to not be thinking that through as well. I just yeah. want to, I'm just mindful of time and I just wanted to tie this back to the Olympics and, you know, one of the, the main Olympic um, sort of commitments is this notion of climate positivity. And this goes back to your point about, you know, going beyond sustainability, going beyond kind of, you know, new, a neutral position and actually creating kind of a circular economy or regenerative design or kind of positively contributing to, you know, our, our future state. And I'm, I'm keen to kind of get some thoughts from you around, around the Olympics and around kind of that climate positive no notion. Yeah, definitely. Uh Weirdly, my three-month check-in for the PhD, we actually spun into a book chapter that seemed to be published. I could I could link to the ePrints QT version of it actually, because that's up now. So yeah, yeah cool. we really took yeah, I, I love it. Um, so really, so we're the first one that was the first Olympics that you know in the process that IOC said it has to be carbon positive, all this sort of thing built in, and so we've done that, and now Paris is like well. 
we're going to be carbon positive too. Like, so, yeah. oh, you know, it, it's, yeah. yeah, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of talk through that, right? It's back to what I'm saying. It's be involved with it and shape it. Uh, there's many possible ways to go. There's some probability that it doesn't go that well. I I should bring up I I wasn't in favour of us hosting the Olympics, but okay. my perspective is as soon as it's announced, be amongst it, get involved. It's happening. Shape it the best way, you know. And I was kind of yeah. I I imagined in my career I might go overseas, you know, different chunks of time and stuff. And I was a bit like, okay, you cheeky Olympic committee. I really can't <laughs> imagine myself. Yeah, I can't imagine myself leaving Southeast Queensland before then, right? It it even comes down to like I think it'd be irresponsible to leave. Like I love Brisbane. I think I'll always come back here, family, all that. It'd be yeah, irresponsible to leave while it's going through this massive shift. Cool. Okay, look, let's get on to the next one around. What would you like to do with the next two to five years of your career? Obviously, the last five years have been instrumental in shaping, you know, where you are and your knowledge and, and your career trajectory. I'm really keen to get an understanding from you as to where you're heading. Like, where do you see these key issues are and, and sort of how do you see yourself contributing to that? Yeah, definitely. I kind of see my life as chunks of five years. So next five years is an interesting one for sure. And it's sort of one's beginning now. I suppose it'd be good to talk through the way I try and make decisions about my career. Um, so there's two sort of main ways that I go about it. Uh, okay, so gotcha. the concept is 80,000 hours, uh, being that you have roughly that many hours in your career, give or take. Also be deliberate about your career choices, contributing to important issues. Big one they do is AI safety. That's a yeah, main one, but there's a lot amongst it all. And so for me, I try and make decisions based on two things I've kind of conceptualized. One is, would this happen if it wasn't me doing it? So not a job that just needs someone to fill it. If someone else is going to do it anyway, they're going to do it well, why not just let them do something else yourself? And so what that impact is going to happen regardless of you doing it, plus or minus a little bit. And actually, even so with power wells, it wouldn't be happening if I wasn't doing it, which makes me go, okay, this is something to pursue. The second one, which is often more practical, if I'm going to be the one doing something, will it be substantially better off from me being the one doing it? So that's the practical. Uh, it's probably most useful for people to consider in their career choices. If it's going to be you, make sure that the project, the whatever, is better off for you being the one. And I'm far from perfect of this. It's just what I try and use when working through decisions. Yeah. Um, well, actually, so awesome. in that too, there's this consideration that 80,000 hours, it's yeah, if you're the hundredth person to begin working on something, your impact is probably much higher than being the ten thousandth person to be working on something. So it's kind of those sort of ideas sort of help shape stuff. And effective altruism is something that I've really been getting into, like the effective altruism community. Um, I'd love to talk through that because I think it'd be quite useful for some young planners making decisions. Yeah, please. So, uh, so it's based on what is the best use of your resources time, money, skills. The beginning of it, which is um, a succinct intro, I suppose, but also there's questions to it, just a disclaimer up front. So like, say you're a well-educated educated person here in Australia, pretty decent earning potential, and you want to do something to help people. Say some people drop what they're doing, go somewhere that basic shelter is needed, and start helping build houses. You know that sort of concept, like, you know, I can go over there, be the one building it. 
And if you just think through like whatever the impact is, call it one X, if they stayed earning a good income in Australia and put a decent proportion of that to fund construction in where they would have been building it themselves, they could easily pay for five skilled laborers, local, you know, local laborers with just a bit of their income here. And that impact would likely be more than 5x, maybe an order of magnitude more. And this feeds into this is the impact of quality of life per unit of resource, time, money. It's a lot higher in lower, socio, lower socioeconomic areas. So I'm aware this is quite at odds, but I do with power worlds, but I've revisited it a few times and I've come to terms with it. It's still worth pursuing, maybe along the conversation needed, but it's really like, be deliberate with your decisions. You don't have much time here. You have skills, like put them to use. Don't waste your time. That's a great pep talk. I love it. And what do you intend to do with your young planner of the year responsibilities? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for coming back to that. Really, yeah, it's been a little bit of time between then. It got to the end of year, COVID, whatever. But what we're bringing together is reached out to all the recipients of the statewide ones, so each area, uh, you know, main and commendation. There's an amazing group of people there, right? So we're bringing, coming together. I'm just going to start discussing things, try and find some similarities about what we all are interested in. And I think there's value in doing an open letter or something about what we think, what our priorities are, and sort of that shaping the built environment space. I think there's something to, you know, the ones that are recognized as whatever in each state all agree on this and think we should go that way. So I really want to do that. Also really want to bring together and it's always still happening, but I just want to be involved with it more and kind of, yeah, throw fuel on the fire. Bring together Pia, Ayla, uh, AIA, other ones, um, engineers, young engineers, those sort of things, and do similar with that. You have know, like yeah. all the recipients of these built environment professions all care about X, Y, Z, and think it's important. I just think there's, yeah, legitimacy in numbers or something like that. It's and powerful, isn't it? There's much it would more be right, power yeah. in that collective thought. If you've got all of these sort of people saying the same thing, caring about the same thing, you guys are, you know, I say you guys, I mean, you and I are similar in age, but you know, it, you know, it's our future, right? Like, we're, you know, yeah. and, and it's sort of something that, you know, and just the way you're thinking and, and, you know, your experiences are so different and, and, you know, what you care about is so different to what generations before have. Yeah. Definitely agree. Um, I think we also need to be very cognizant that we don't just say young people are the solution to everything. Yeah. Um, and we we also need to look at people that are nearing retirement and getting forced out before they are. I, I think that's this massive resource that we're underutilized too. So kind of both ends of the spectrum, I think we don't do enough with. Just want to quickly part, you know, that's a big issue as well. And yeah. I kind of, I kind of think I'm, on a reflection, I feel like I'm 25 going on 80. I just yeah. like youthful kind of energy. Uh, I'm just so yeah, curious, all that kind of stuff. Quickly, I don't think I'm that special too in this space. Like I, I think I'm just curious and I do things that I think have value and that's it. Like whatever I do is very much attainable to anyone that's actually just like keen to do things. Look, um, I, I know you say you don't think you're special, but I, I read your the agenda article and that is and that's <laughs> the sort of planning institutes um, 
you know, quarterly magazine, which is amazing. And, and the first thing I pick up as soon as it arrives in my letterbox. And, you know, I, I read each of the, the articles that are in there each quarter. And your short story on I don't even, I couldn't even describe what it is. Climate refugees, I, I think, is kind of a, a way of summing it mm. up. That is, I've never seen that portrayed in that way. And and it was quite emotive. It was a, it was a short story, you know, and, and, you know, it really got you thinking. It really made you put your, their shoes on, you know, the people who are, who are, you know, refugees in, in your story were, were just, um, yeah, I don't know. Would you like to share a little bit about your thinking on that? Because that made you special in my eyes. I mean, a lot of what you do is special, but that really made me go, okay, you think about things very differently. Hey, thank you. I mean, that means the world to me. I think the world of you. So that is amazing to hear. A bit giddy right now. <laughs> so yeah, it it was fun and it's important. And I think there's a lot of merit to telling stories and shaping the discourse in non-traditional ways and that one actually came out of oh wow um maybe five years ago there was that missing middle design competition uh state government run malcolm middleton is absolutely amazing I think the world of malcolm too but i kind of had this criticism of i don't think the missing middle is a design problem i think it's a societal problem like perception financial mechanisms, all that sort of stuff. So I kind of had this criticism, like, I don't think this needs to be just a design competition. It needs to be this shift in perception. And I made a little, like, satirical thing where essentially half of the building was obfuscated, like, it was meant to be, um, like, a transparency cloak or whatever. And so yeah. I kind of went from there. And I, I kind of bring it up in that a mentor of mine at the time said, you can't do that. Like, you can't just criticize something without having the perfect answer to it. And that kind of messed me up for a little bit, to be honest. So I think, yeah. I think that's quite prevalent too, in that in planning, we really go, if you don't have the answer to something, don't criticize the concept. And I think we need to get past that because you can say, look, something's wrong here. I don't have the exact answer that is like on merit better right now, but we need to have a discussion about the way things are being shaped. So that's actually something I'm pretty positive, like passionate about too. Like, just being able to say, no, something's wrong. Let's work on it. Not, yeah. I, I would you agree? Like, oh, I think in planning, if you don't have the totally. answer, you shouldn't, yeah. Well, you, I agree. you do it better then. Tell me what's better. It's like, mm, I've got some thoughts, but. Yeah. And so, yeah, yep. sorry. And to define better, you often need a lot of people to come together in order to develop a solution that is truly better. So I think in order to, yeah, no, I totally agree. It's very delicate though, I think, in terms of criticizing someone, you know, if someone's worked hard and long and, you know, the energy and resource and time that's gone into it, I think that criticism kind of needs to be framed in the right way. So I think it's, you know, it comes from both ends, but I totally yes. agree with you that um, we need to be able to critique each other and, and and various work in order to do better and in order to improve because that's our job right we're here to improve the future of our communities and how do you do that if you do the same thing over and over again that's it yeah hey we are running out of time i i had so many other things i wanted to talk to you about i wanted to find out your thoughts on the metaverse i know you've been wrapping your head around that i wanted to talk to you about multi-planetary species but i reckon we need to save those for a future episode so i'm I'm putting it to you on the spot would you come back a bit later in this season and and record another episode with me 
absolutely love to. Um, some of my favorite people in the world have been on the previous episodes. Love how you go about it all. And I'm keen to talk about interesting things. Yeah, I've set my task over the break to wrap my head around metaverse stuff. And it's been extremely interesting. It's happening. Um, it's bringing a few things together. Quickly, I just, I'm about to do an actual commission where I take spatial data from LA yeah. and turn that into mapping, like heat maps and selecting yeah. properties in one of the metaverse virtual worlds. And this person's going to like compensate me for my time with in-game stuff. And I don't know, I just feel like that is, I, I find that extremely fun, interesting, that kind of thing. And then, yeah, we'd absolutely love to talk about um, future humanity, multi-planetary species. It's something that I, the main sort of takeaway, maybe before going into it more, is it's not a binary choice between thinking about going beyond, you know, Earth orbit, settling somewhere else, and making sure that we, you know, maintain the habitability of Earth. It's just about probabilities of existential threats um, and the things we can learn and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it, it's not this binary choice that I think a lot of people, they say, well, we shouldn't do it because we should focus resources on maintaining Earth. And it, yeah, it's, I don't have you, how many times have you in your life have you seen someone take money away from one thing and it gets put really efficiently to something that is better? I've, I've just, I don't know if I've ever seen that. And, I, and no. so I really don't think it is. You know, within our lifetimes, no one, no one's that available, no one's that alive right now is going to go have a pleasant life somewhere other than Earth. Like, <laughs> so this whole it being an escape plan for rich people is just ridiculous. It's going to be <laughs> rough. It, yeah. But I would yeah. love to talk about it more. And I'll, I'm a listener, so I'm very much keen to be more involved. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Nick. It's been an awesome discussion. You have blown my mind just a little and really stretched my thinking, which I really thank you for. Best of luck with your future endeavours. I'm really keen to get you back on. And, and I think, you know, this episode will really sort of start the thinking for our listeners around, you know, this this new wave of, of um, planners. And, and I hope you are really bringing a, a group of um, inspired young people around you that they can really solve some of these problems. Um, and I really think your career is going to be one to watch. So definitely we'll, we'll chat again very soon. But thanks for your time today. Thank you very much. And yeah, I'm perhaps most passionate about supporting other people in their careers. So yeah, there's a lot. It's not me. Like I'm a small part of this amazing group of young planners and other built environment professionals coming through. It's really promising. Cool. And thank you for tuning into the first episode of season two of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this discussion and this episode, please leave us a rating and a review so that others can find out about the podcast and they can tune in in the future too. You can follow the show on Instagram, hustle underscore bustle underscore podcast and LinkedIn. Search for Hustle and Bustle podcast and request to join the group. That's all from this episode. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you next time. Bye for now.